Chapter 9 of The Creatures That Time Forgot by Ray Bradbury This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 9 They waited in the mouth of their new cave. The sun set. The stones cooled so that one could walk on them. It was almost time for the leaping out and the running toward the distant glittering metal seed that lay on the far mountain. Soon would come the rains. And Sim thought back over all the times he had watched the rains thicken into creeks, into rivers, that cut new beds each night. One night there would be a river running north, the next a river running northeast, the third night a river running due west. The valley was continually cut and scarred by the torrents. Earthquakes and avalanches filled the old beds. New ones were the order of the day. It was this idea of the river and the directions of the river that he had turned over in his head for many hours. It might possibly... Well, he would wait and see. He noticed how living in this new cliff had slowed his pulse. Slowed everything. A mineral result. Protection against the solar radiations. Life was still swift, but not as swift as before. Now, Sim, cried Light testing the valley air. They ran, between the hot death and the cold one, together away from the cliffs out toward the distant beckoning ship. Never had they run this way in their lives. The sound of their feet running was a hard, insistent clatter over vast oblongs of rock, down into ravines, up the sides, and on again. They raked the air in and out of their lungs. Behind them, the cliffs faded away into things they could never turn back to now. They did not eat as they ran. They had eaten to the bursting point in the cave to save time. Now it was only running. A lifting of legs, a balancing of bent elbows, a convulsion of muscles, a slaking in of air that had been fiery and was now cooling. Are they watching us? Light's breathless voice snatched at his ears above the pounding of his heart. Who? But he knew the answer. The cliff peoples, of course. How long had it been since a race like this one? A thousand days? Ten thousand? How long since someone had taken the chance and sprinted with an entire civilization's eyes upon their backs into gullies across cooling plain? Were there lovers pausing in their laughter back there, gazing at the two tiny dots that were a man and woman running toward destiny? Were children eating of new fruits and stopping in their play to see the two people racing against time? Was Dink still living? narrowing hairy eyebrows down over fading eyes, shouting them on in a feeble, rasping voice, shaking a twisted hand. Were there jeers? Were they being called fools, idiots? And in the midst of the name-calling were people praying them on, hoping they would reach the ship. Yes, under all the cynicism and pessimism, some of them, all of them, must be praying. Sam took a quick glance at the sky which was beginning to bruise with the coming night. Out of nowhere, clouds materialized, and a light shower trailed across a gully two hundred yards ahead of them. Lightning beat down upon distant mountains, and there was a strong scent of ozone on the disturbed air. The halfway mark, panted Sim, and he saw Light's face half-turn, longingly looking back at the life she was leaving. Now's the time. If we want to turn back, we still have time. Another minute... Thunder snarled in the mountains. An avalanche started out small and ended up huge and monstrous in a deep fissure. 
Light rain dotted Light's smooth white skin. In a minute, her hair was glistening and soggy with rain. Too late now, she shouted over the padding rhythm of her own naked feet. We've got to go ahead. And it was too late. Sim knew, judging the distances, that there was no turning back now. His leg began to pain him a little. He favored it, slowing. A wind came up swiftly, a cold wind that bit into the skin. But it came from the cliffs behind them, helped rather than hindered them. An omen, he wondered? No. For as the minutes went by, it grew upon him how poorly he had estimated the distance. Their time was dwindling out, but they were still an impossible distance from the ship. He said nothing, but the impotent anger at the slow muscles in his legs welled up into bitterly hot tears in his eyes. He knew that Light was thinking the same as himself, but she flung along like a white bird, seeming hardly to touch ground. He heard her breath go out and in her throat like a clean, sharp knife in its sheath. Half the sky was dark, the first stars were peering through lengths of black cloud. Lightning jiggled a path along a rim just ahead of them. A full thunderstorm of violent rain and exploding electricity fell upon them. They slipped and skidded on moss-smooth pebbles. Light fell, scrambled up again with a burning oath. Her body was scarred and dirty. The rain washed over her. The rain came down and cried on Sim. It filled his eyes and ran in rivers down his spine, and he wanted to cry with it. Light fell and did not rise, sucking her breath, her breasts quivering. He picked her up and held her. Run, Light! Please, run! Leave me, Sim. Go ahead. The rain filled her mouth. There was water everywhere. It's no use. Go on without me. He stood there cold and powerless, his thoughts sagging the flame of hope blinking out. All the world was blackness, cold falling sheaths of water and despair. We'll walk then, he said, and keep walking and resting. They walked for fifty yards, easily, slowly, like children out for a stroll. The gully ahead of them filled with water that went sliding away with a swift, wet sound toward the horizon. Sim cried out, Tugging at light, he raced forward. A new channel, he said, pointing. Each day the rain cuts a new channel. Here, light! He leaned over the floodwaters. He dived in, taking her with him. The flood swept them like bits of wood. They fought to stay upright. The water got into their mouths, their noses. The land swept by on both sides of them. Clutching Light's finger with insane strength, Sim felt himself hurled end over end, saw flicks of lightning on high, and a new fierce hope was born in him. They could no longer run? Well, then they would let the water do the running for them. With a speed that dashed them against rocks, split open their shoulders, abraded their legs, the new brief river carried them. This way! Sim shouted over a salvo of thunder and steered frantically toward the opposite side of the gully. The mountain where the ship lay was just ahead. They must not pass it by. They fought in the transporting liquid and were slammed against the far side. Sim leaped up, caught at an overhanging rock, locked light in his legs, and drew himself hand over hand upward. As quickly as it had come, the storm was gone. The lightning faded, the rain ceased, the clouds melted and fell away over the sky. The wind whispered into silence. 
The ship. Light lay upon the ground. The ship, Sim. This is the mountain of the ship. Now the cold came. The killing cold. They forced themselves drunkenly up the mountain. The cold slid along their limbs, got into their arteries like a chemical, and slowed them. Ahead of them, with a fresh-washed sheen, lay the ship. It was a dream. Sim could not believe that they were actually so near it. Two hundred yards, one hundred and seventy yards. God, but it was cold. The ground became covered with ice. They slipped and fell again and again. Behind them, the river was frozen into a blue-white snake of cold solidity. A few last drops of rain from somewhere came down as hard pellets. Sim fell against the bulk of the ship. He was actually touching it. Touching it! He heard light whimpering in her constricted throat. This was the metal, the ship. How many others had touched it in the long days? He and Light had made it. He touched it lovingly. Then, as cold as the air, his veins were chilled. Where was the entrance? You run, you swim, you almost drown, you curse, you sweat, you work, you reach a mountain, you go up it, you hammer on metal, you shout with relief, you reach the ship, and then you can't find the entrance. He fought to keep himself from breaking down. Slowly, he told himself, but not too slowly, go around the ship. The metal slid under his searching hands, so cold that his hands, sweating, almost froze to it. Now, far around to the side, light moved with him. The cold held them like a fist. It began to squeeze. The entrance. Metal. Cold, immutable metal. A thin line of opening at the ceiling point. Throwing all caution aside, he beat at it. He felt his stomach seething with cold. His fingers were numb. His eyes were half-frozen in their sockets. He began to beat and search and scream against the metal door. Open up! Open up! He staggered. The airlock sighed. With a whispering of metal on rubber beddings, the door swung softly sidewise and vanished back. He saw a light run forward, clutching at her throat and drop inside a small, shiny chamber. He shuffled after her, blankly. The airlock door sealed shut behind him. He could not breathe. His heartbeat began to slow, to stop. They were trapped inside the ship now, and something was happening. He sank down to his knees and choked for air. The ship he had come to for salvation was now slowing his pulse, darkening his brain poisoning him. With a starved, faint kind of expiring terror, he realized that he was dying. Blackness. He had a dim sense of time passing, of thinking, struggling to make his heart go quick, quick, to make his eyes focus. But the fluid in his body lagged quietly through his settling veins, and he heard his temple, pulses, thud, pause, thud, pause, and thud again, with lulling intermissions. He could not move, not a hand or leg or finger. It was an effort to lift the tonnage of his eyelashes. He could not shift his face even to see light lying beside him. From a distance came her irregular breathing. 
It was like the sound a wounded bird makes with his dry, unraveled pinions. She was so close he could almost feel the heat of her, yet she seemed a long way removed. I'm getting cold, he thought. Is this death? This slowing of blood of my heart? This cooling of my body? This drowsy thinking of thoughts? Staring at the ship's ceiling, he traced its intricate system of tubes and machines. The knowledge, the purpose of the ship, its actions, seeped into him. He began to understand in a kind of revealing lassitude just what these things were his eyes rested upon. Slow, slow. There was an instrument with a gleaming white dial. Its purpose? He drudged away at the problem like a man underwater. People had used the dial, touched it. People had repaired it, installed it. People had dreamed of it before the building, before the installing, before the repairing and touching and using. The dial contained memory of use and manufacture. Its very shape was a dream memory telling Sim why and for what it had been built. Given time, looking at anything, he could draw from it the knowledge he desired. Some dim part of him reached out dissected the contents of things, analyzed them. This dial measured time. Millions of days of time. But how could that be? Sim's eyes dilated, hot and glittering. Where were humans who needed such an instrument? Blood thrummed and beat behind his eyes. He closed them. Panic came to him. The day was passing, I am lying here, he thought, and my life slips away. I cannot move. My youth is passing. How long before I can move? Through a kind of porthole he saw the night pass, the day come, the day pass, and again another night. Stars danced frostily. I will lie here for four or five days, wrinkling and withering, he thought. The ship will not let me move. How much better if I had stayed in my home cliff, lived, enjoyed this short life. What good has it done to come here? I'm missing all the twilights and dawns. I'll never touch light, though she's here at my side. Delirium. His mind floated up. His thoughts whirled through the metal ship. He smelled the razor-sharp smell of joined metal. He heard the hull contract with night, relax with day. Dawn. Already another dawn. Today I would have been mature. His jaw clenched. I must get up. I must move. I must enjoy my time of maturity. But he did not move. He felt his blood pump sleepily from chamber to red chamber in his heart on, down, and around through his dead body, to be purified by his folding and unfolding lungs. Then the circuit once more. The ship grew warm. From somewhere a machine clicked. Automatically the temperature cooled. A controlled gust of air flushed the room. Night again. And then another day. He lay and saw four days of his life pass. He did not try to fight. It was no use. His life was over. He didn't want to turn his head now. 
He didn't want to see light with her face like his tortured mother's. Eyelids like gray ash flakes. Eyes like beaten, sanded metal. Cheeks like eroded stones. He didn't want to see a throat like parched thongs of yellow grass. Hands the pattern of smoke risen from a fire. Breasts like desiccated rinds and hair stubbly and unshorn as moist gray weeds. And himself? How did he look? Was his jaw sunken, the flesh of his eyes pitted, his brow lined and age-scarred? His strength began to return. He felt his heart beating so slow that it was amazing. One hundred beats a minute. Impossible. He felt so cool, so thoughtful, so easy. His head fell over to one side. He stared at light. He shouted in surprise. She was young and fair. She was looking at him, too weak to say anything. Her eyes were like tiny silver metals. Her throat curved like the arm of a child. Her hair was blue fire eating at her scalp, fed by the slender life of her body. Four days had passed and still she was young. No, younger than when they had entered the ship. She was still adolescent. He could not believe it. Her first words were, How long will this last? He replied carefully, I don't know. We are still young. The ship, its metal is around us. It cuts away the sun and the things that came from the sun to age us. Her eyes shifted thoughtfully. Then if we stay here, we'll remain young. Six more days? Fourteen more? Twenty? More than that, maybe. She lay there silently. After a long time, she said, Sim? Yes. Let's stay here. Let's not go back. If we go back now, you know what'll happen to us. I'm not certain. We'll start getting old again, won't we? He looked away again. He stared at the ceiling and the clock with the moving finger. Yes, we'll grow old. What if we grow old instantly? When we step from the ship, won't the shock be too much? Maybe. Another silence. He began to move his limbs, testing them. He was very hungry. The others are waiting, he said. Her next words made him gasp. The others are dead, she said, or will be in a few hours. All those we knew back there are old and worn. He tried to picture them old. Dark, his sister, bent and senile with time. He shook his head, wiping the picture away. They may die, he said, but there are others who have been born. People we don't even know, said Light flatly. But nevertheless, our people, he replied. People who will live only eight days or eleven days unless we help them. But we're young, Sim. We're young. We can stay young. He didn't want to listen. It was too tempting a thing to listen to. To stay here. To live. We've already had more time than the others, he said. I need workers. Men to heal this ship, 
We'll get on our feet now, you and I, and find food, eat, and see if the ship is movable. I'm afraid to try to move it myself. It's so big. I'll need help. But that means running back all that distance. I know. He lifted himself weakly. But I'll do it. How will you get the men back here? We'll use the river. If it's there, it may be somewhere else. We'll wait until there is one, then. I've got to go back, Light. The son of Dink is waiting for me. My sister, your brother, are old people, ready to die and waiting for some word from us. After a long while, he heard her move, dragging herself tiredly to him. She put her head upon his chest, her eyes closed, stroking his arm. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You have to go back. I'm a selfish fool. He touched her cheek clumsily. You're human. I understand you. There's nothing to forgive. They found food. They walked through the ship. It was empty. Only in the control room did they find the remains of a man who must have been the chief pilot. The others had evidently bailed out into space in emergency lifeboats. This pilot, sitting in its controls, alone, had landed the ship on a mountain within sight of other fallen and smashed crafts. Its location on high ground had saved it from the floods. The pilot himself had died, probably of heart failure soon after landing. The ship had remained here, almost within reach of the other survivors. Perfect as an egg, but silent for... How many thousand days? If the pilot had lived, what a different thing life might have been for the ancestors of Sim and Light. Sim, thinking of this, felt the distant, ominous vibration of war. How had the war between worlds come out? Who had won? Or had both planets lost and never bothered trying to pick up survivors? Who had been right? Who was the enemy? Were Sim's people of the guilty or innocent side? They might never know. He checked the ship hurriedly. He knew nothing of its workings, yet as he walked its corridors, patted its machines, he learned from it. It needed only a crew. One man couldn't possibly set the whole thing running again. He laid his hand upon one round, snout-like machine. He jerked his hand away, as if burnt. Light! What is it? He touched the machine again, caressed it. His hand trembled violently. His eyes welled with tears. His mouth opened and closed. He looked at the machine, loving it, then looked at light. With this machine, he stammered softly, incredulously. With, with this machine, I can... What, Sim? He inserted his hand into a cup-like contraption with a lever inside. Out of porthole in front of him, he could see the distant line of cliffs. We were afraid there might never be another river running by this mountain, weren't we? He asked exultantly. Yes, Sim, but... There will be a river, and I will come back, tonight. And I'll bring men with me. Five hundred men, because with this machine I can blast a river bottom all the way to the cliffs, down which the waters will rush, giving myself and the men a swift, sure way of traveling back. He rubbed the machine's barrel-like body. When I touch it, 
The life and method of it shot into me. Watch! He depressed the lever. A beam of incandescent fire lanced out from the ship, screaming. Steadily, accurately, Sim began to cut away a riverbed for the storm waters to flow in. The night was turned today by its hungry eating. The return to the cliffs was to be carried out by Sim alone. Light was to remain in the ship in case of any mishap. The trip back seemed, at first glance, to be impossible. There would be no river rushing to cut his time, to sweep him along toward his destination. He would have to run the entire distance in the dawn, and the sun would get him, catch him before he'd reach safety. The only way to do it is to start before sunrise. But you'd be frozen, Sim. Here. He made adjustments on the machine that had just finished cutting the riverbed in the rock floor of the valley. He lifted the smooth snout of the gun, pressed the lever, left it down. A gout of fire shot toward the cliffs. He fingered the range control, focused the flame end three miles from its source. Done. He turned to light. But I don't understand, she said. He opened the airlock door. It's bitter cold out, and half an hour yet till dawn. If I run parallel to the flame from the machine, close enough to it, there'll not be much heat, but enough to sustain life anyway. It doesn't sound safe, Light protested. Nothing does on this world, he moved forward. I'll have half an hour start. That should be enough to reach the cliffs. But if the machine should fail while you're still running near its beam... Let's not think of that, he said. A moment later, he was outside. He staggered as if kicked in the stomach. His heart almost exploded in him. The environment of his world forced him into swift living again. He felt his pulse rise, kicking through his veins. The night was cold as death. The heat ray from the ship sliced across the valley, humming solid and warm. He moved next to it, very close. One misstep in his running, and... I'll be back! He called to light. He and the ray of light went together. In the early morning, the peoples in the caves saw the long finger of orange incandescence and the weird whitish apparition floating, running along beside it. There was muttering and superstition. So when Sim finally reached the cliffs of his childhood, he saw alien peoples swarming there. There were no familiar faces. Then he realized how foolish it was to expect familiar faces. One of the older men glared down at him. "'Who are you?' he shouted. "'Are you from the enemy cliff? What's your name?' "'I am Sim, the son of Sim.' "'Sim?' An old woman shrieked from the cliff above him. She came hobbling down the stone pathway. "'Sim! Sim! It is you!' He looked at her, frankly bewildered. "'But I don't know you.' he murmured. Sim, don't you recognize me? Oh, Sim, it's me, Dark! Dark! He felt sick at his stomach. She fell into his arms, this old trembling woman with the half-blind eyes, his sister. Another face appeared above, that of an old man, a cruel, bitter face. It looked down at Sim and snarled. Drive him away! cried the old man. He comes from the cliff of the enemy. He's lived there. He's still young. 
Those who go there can never come back among us. Disloyal beast! And a rock hurtled down. Sim leaped aside, pulling the old woman with him. A roar came from the people. They ran toward Sim, shaking their fists. Kill him! Kill him! raved the old man, and Sim did not know who he was. Stop! Sim held out his hands. I come from the ship! The ship? The people slowed. Dark clung to him, looking up into his young face, puzzling over its smoothness. Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! croaked the old man and picked up another rock. I offer you ten days, twenty days, thirty more days of life. The people stopped. Their mouths hung open. Their eyes were incredulous. Thirty days? It was repeated again and again. How? Come back to the ship with me. Inside it, one can live forever. The old man lifted high a rock, then, choking, fell forward in an apoplectic fit and tumbled down the rocks to lie at Sim's feet. Sim bent to peer at the Ancient One, at the bleary, dead eyes, the loose, snaring lips, the crumpled, quiet body. Cheon. Yes, said Dark behind him, in a croaking, strange voice. Your enemy, Cheon. That night, a thousand warriors started for the ship as if going to war. The water ran in the new channel. Five hundred of them were drowned or lost behind in the cold. The others, with Sim, got through to the ship. Light awaited them, and threw wide the metal door. The weeks passed. Generations lived and died in the cliffs, while the five hundred workers labored over the ship, learning its functions and its parts. On the last day, they disbanded. Each ran to his station. Now there was a destiny of travel who still remained behind. Sim touched the control plates under his fingers. Light, rubbing her eyes, came and sat on the floor next to him, resting her head against his knee drowsily. I had a dream, she said, looking off at something far away. I dreamed I lived in caves in a cliff on a cold, hot planet where people grew old and died in eight days and were burnt. What an impossible dream, said Sim. People couldn't possibly live in such a nightmare. Forget it. You're awake now. He touched the plates gently. The ship rose and moved into space. Sim was right. The nightmare was over at last. End of chapter 9 End of The Creatures That Time Forgot by Ray Bradbury